listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. We've been plowing through the the gospel of Luke and last week we finished Luke 15 and we saw some things um, about the good shepherd and the lost coin and um, the father whose son was lost. Um, This week Jesus has a different emphasis and the emphasis is money. It's generosity. Nothing changes how we see ourselves like money think about that nothing changes changes how we see ourselves like money uh, having money using money not having money you see somebody without money it affects how they see themselves you f- see somebody that has run into money or who has earned a lot of money it changes how they see themselves so as we look at this text on money as we read through it i want you to think about how money has affected your life But we also need to, as we look at the text, understand some things this morning as it relates to God. As we looked at Luke chapter 15, we see the heart of God. We see the character and nature of God in the text of Scripture. And the God of Scripture is a seeking God. Luke 19.10 says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. We see God seeking as a shepherd, the one out of 100. We see God seeking the lost coin, the one out of 10. We see the father looking for his son, who is a prodigal, rebellious, wayward son. So the character and nature of God, the heart of God is this, that God is a seeking God, and that is good news. He seeks the lost. And if you're here today, it is because he has sought you. But we also see in the text this morning that the heart of God, that the character and nature of God is that God is a generous God. God is a giving God. Now, what we have to consider in light of that, we've learned some things about God, that he is seeking and that he is generous, and we don't need to miss this. If we are filled with the Spirit and the, the Spirit is flowing out of us and we have the gift of the Spirit and the character and the nature of God is living and dwelling in us, if we are children of God, the things that concern God should concern us. The mission of God should be something that we are deeply concerned about. The kingdom of God, the glory of God, these things should concern us and bring joy to us. What are those things that God loves? What are those things that throw God into party mode that we saw in Luke chapter 15? What throws God into party mode is the lost being found and the resources that he has blessed us with being used for his kingdom. That's what the text is trying to show us this morning. If that is the character and nature of God, and we have the spirit living in us, then the character and nature of God that flows out of us in the form of the gifts of the spirit should manifest themselves in ways, number one, that show that we have a heart for those who are lost, that we are seeking and saving, not we are seeking and he is saving the lost. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are ministers of reconciliation. We're pleading with men in God's stead, 2 Corinthians 5, be reconciled to God. That is inescapable. 
whatever theological system you adhere to, if it does not include that the character and nature of God is that of a seeking God and those who have the spirit living in them should as well be trying to engage lost people and bring them into relationship with the Father. And whatever spiritual system you are a part of or whatever theological beliefs that you have, if, if they characterize God in any other way than a seeking God, if they characterize God in any other way than a giving God, and then you don't see that as something that should be manifested through your life, then I would say that you have adhered yourself to a theological system that is not biblical. So let us be very clear in that respect this morning. The text, let's look at the text. I'll say a couple of things about it in general, and then we'll uh, dive into some details of the text. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Listen to this. He also said to the disciples, and he then gives them this parable. He gives them this narrative. He gives them this story. A story grabs our attention. The story grabs our attention because we want to understand the people in the story, but we also perhaps see ourselves in the story. And if you read this narrative, if you read this parable, if you read the Word of God, if you read the words of Jesus, you may see yourself somewhere in this story, this parable, this narrative. There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought against were brought to him that this man was wasting his possession. So the rich man had a manager, a steward, and charges were brought to the rich man about the steward, that the steward was wasting, the manager was wasting his possessions. Verse 2, and he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? I've heard rumors. Let's, uh, let's do a deep dive. Let's do an audit. So he says, turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I got to look out for myself and I know what my capabilities are. I know what my strengths are. I know what my weaknesses are. I know what I'm willing to do. I know what I'm not willing to do. I'm not strong enough to dig, so I'm obviously too old to, to do grunt work and I'm ashamed to beg. Verse four, I have decided what to do. So that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. Here's what he's saying. I'm going to take action now that is going to secure my future. I'm going to take action now that is going to assure me of security in my future. That's a shrewd manager. So, verse 5, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager. Now, uh, understand, he's not commending his dishonesty. He's already acknowledging to us that he's dishonest. But he's commending this dishonest manager for his shrewdness, his shrewdness, him taking action to make sure, although he's fixing to lose his job, he's fixing to lose his income, he's fixing to lose his benefits, he's fixing to lose his company car, that he's, he's moving quickly, shrewdly to make sure that his future is covered. Notice what Jesus says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So we see a distinction here between the sons of the world and that, that generation that they're living in or the people that are like them and the sons of light. Verse nine, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. 
so that when it fails, and it will fail, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. We're living in this world. We're living among the sons of men. We are the sons of light. The transaction, the, the means of transaction that is used, the currency of the culture is, is money. And we are all, every one of us probably has a bank account with some money in it, and you're using that. He's saying, how are you going to use that? Are you going to use that to make sure that everything is, are you going to be like the sons of this world? And you're going to use this money just like the sons of the world use it? Or are you going to use it differently here on this earth among the sons of this world as the sons of light with this unrighteous resource? How are you going to use it? Are you going to use it in a way that when you get to heaven, the kingdom of heaven will be benefited and there will be people waiting for you there because of how you used your money here? Don't confuse the text. Don't make something out of the text that the text doesn't make. But this is exactly what Jesus is trying to say to his disciples. And he's, verse 1, he was talking to his disciples. He moves on. Verse 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. That's an axiomatic statement. That is an irrefutable axiomatic statement. It, it is a statement upon which you, you, you build a life. If you're faithful in small things, then you will be faithful in greater things. If you're not faithful in small things, you will not be faithful in greater things. Some people are like, I don't want to do those small things. I want something great. I want something bigger. I want something more. Jesus makes it clear. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. One of the problems in the church is, is that we keep giving people more and more to do when they haven't proven themselves faithful many times in small things. So, a lot of times it's a position of honor that means much to us as opposed to something that's very simple. Verse 11 if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? How are you handling unrighteous wealth? Every one of us handles unrighteous wealth. Every one of us is dealing in the currency of this world. Are we dealing in the currency of this world like the people of this world, like the sons of this world? Do we want the same things? Are we using our money the same way they're using their money? Do we have the same goals with our money that they have with their money? That, by the way, is the prosperity gospel. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is, not, which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. These, again, are black and white statements. There's no gray area here. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, period. Can't do it. We think we figured out a way to do it in the church. You can't do it. Verse 14, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. What's your response? What's going on inside of you right now? What kind of reactions are being stirred up to a place of self-justification or disagreement? Right? Because this... It's close to home. This hits close to home. 
Keep your hands out of my pocket, and I'm not trying to put my hands in your pocket. I'm just trying to get you to understand if you're a believer in Christ that whatever is in your pocket belongs to Jesus Christ. Pharisees didn't like it. Why they were lovers of money. Our reaction to scriptural challenges regarding our resources are a clear and accurate indicator of where our heart is. They loved money. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Verse 18, finally, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. What's happening here? Um, in the text. Let me just make some general statements before we just uh, just kind of move through this, this text that I think is, is very simple and that we should understand uh, with, with great clarity. God has not blessed me because I have been good. Okay? Now you may be sitting here saying, I'll tell you what, God has blessed me and I've done some things right. I've got some things figured out. Praise God. Praise me. I've, I've followed some principles and I've done some things right and I've got some resources. There are there are tons of people that have done the same things that you have done that don't have what you have by the sovereign hand of God. God, God has not blessed me because I have been good. By the way, there are some people that have been really bad that have a whole lot more than any of us in this room have. So before we start using, using our reasoning forwards and backwards and using our principles forwards and backwards, you've got some susplaining to do on that. God has not, if you are a believer, if you're a child of God, God has not blessed me because I have been good. God has blessed me so that I can do good, so that I can take what he has blessed me with to ensure that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ goes forward and that the kingdom of heaven can expand. Listen to me. Our success must translate into his mission or it is all a waste. There should be a corresponding commitment to the mission of Jesus Christ as our wealth and our resources increase. Because we think many times, you know what, man, I'm going to church and I'm having my devotions and I'm walking with God and I'm tithing. And so some more came in. And so then I think, self, what can I do with this stuff to make my life better? What can I do with this stuff to make my life easier? When the fact of the matter is God wants us to take the blessing that he gives us and ensure that his kingdom moves forward and his kingdom expands and his kingdom grows. That ought to be the thinking of a believer. It's not, man, I've been good. Look at what God's giving to me. Let me enjoy, let me enjoy what the sons of this world are enjoying. That's life. Our success must translate into his mission. Our typical response to material wealth is more. It just is. 
more, bigger, better, fancier, technologically material, the things that we drive, the places that we live. Our typical response to material wealth is to expand our lifestyle. But let me warn you this morning, material, uh, material possessions and wealth will own you and control you and dominate you and me like no other idol. It seeps its way into our soul. And it convinces us that we can serve God and mammon, that we can do both, that we can straddle the fence, that we can, be, we can be just profoundly successful financially and materially, but we can also be extremely spiritual. The text is saying that's not the case. Our typical response to material wealth is it captures and owns more and more of our soul. It just does. Because folks without anything that, quite frankly, are the most faithful to the house of God because they can't afford to do anything else on the weekends. Amen. But man, when the money starts growing and we got somewhere here and somewhere there and we can go to all these different places and have all these different experiences, all of a sudden the kingdom suffers. All of a sudden the kingdom is put on hold. The purposes of God are put on hold. The guy that led me to the Lord, Philip Jones, worked at General Electric where I did. He had a wife, had two kids. Philip invited me over to his house one day for lunch. It was on Saturday. I raked some leaves, and his wife had prepared a nice lunch, and Philip gave me my first Christian book. I was 17, 18 years old. He gave me a strong concordance so I could look up Bible verses in the Bible. Philip Jones lived in Lake Forest. Lake Forest, I looked it up this morning. I remember it because I've been there many times. I've known people that lived there. It's these block houses that were built in Wilmington, North Carolina, decades and decades and decades ago. They're just block, they're block buildings. A one-bedroom has 475 square feet. A two-bedroom has just under 600 square feet. A three-bedroom has under 800 square feet. Philip Jones, because he wanted his life to matter in eternity, and he wanted to invest his resources in other people, moved out of a nice house. He downsized so that more of his resources could be invested in the kingdom. I've got a friend back home that I grew up with, went to middle school with. His dad was the largest, one of the largest developers in Wilmington, North Carolina, back in the, the, the 80s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. You can go to Wilmington, and there's subdivisions all over the place. And his dad built those. He's the heir apparent to that business. He could have slid right in and been that guy, but God called him into the ministry. He went to seminary, he prepared. He went and served on staff in a church. I'm sure he made very good money doing that. He had a nice home that he had built. He had added on to all of the luxury, all of the 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 frills and the thrills and, and the buttons and the levers, everything. He up one day and said, I'm selling my house and moving into an apartment. I said, why are you doing that? He said, because I want to plant a church and I'm tired of worrying about a house. I'm tired of worrying about cutting grass. I'm tired of worrying about painting. I've got to take, I've got to take my energy and I've got to give it to these idols and I've got to give it to this thing that just consumes me and I want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's standing this morning preaching to about 50 people at Oak Valley church there in Wilmington because he wanted to have less of what this world has and he wanted th this world to have less ownership of him because he knew that one day he is going to die and he's going to stand before God in eternity and the owner of it is going to call us into account for how we've managed it. Right? Right? 
we should have this desire to want to see people in heaven because of the way we live and the way we give. That's what the text is telling us. Our desire should be, Philip Jones, his desire is to see people in heaven because of the way he lives and the way he gives. Jimmy Suggs is doing what he's doing because his desire is to see people in heaven because of the way that he lives and the way that he gives. And here's what I want you to walk away with today. I want you as a follower of Jesus Christ who has the spirit of God in you, who understands the character and nature of God. I want you to look at what you have and I want you to say, I want to see people in heaven because of the way I live and because of the way I give, period. As we look at the text this morning, we've already read it, but consider some things. Number one, the Pharisees had a high view of money. <laughs> I, I, I sat last night and was looking at some old sermons, and I, some of you have heard of Lester Roloff. Most of you don't know who he is, but I remember when I went to college back in 1977, Lester Roloff came in for a revival at Tennessee Temple, independent Baptist. Um, he, he wasn't much of an expositor of Scripture, but he stood up on Sunday morning. And he said, I want to preach a message today, and it's on cirrhosis of the giver. <laughs> the Pharisees had cirrhosis of the giver. Many of us have cirrhosis of the giver. The Pharisees. The Pharisees had a high view of money. Secondly, the Pharisees had a low view of ministry. Let's go back to Luke 15. What started all this conversation? Here's what started all this conversation. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left heaven, came to earth, King of kings, Lord of lords, robed himself in human flesh, and he's sitting around talking to tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees were like, huh, what is wrong with him? They make an observation, then they make an accusation, and it is an accurate conclusion an accurate summary of what jesus is actually doing this is the ministry of jesus christ they had a low view of ministry they had a high view of money but they had a low view of ministry of someone giving themselves away for those who are in desperate need and then we look at verse 18 and they had a low view of marriage they had a low view of relationships they didn't value people they didn't value women Luke spends a lot of time, if you spend time in Luke's gospel, you'll see that where there is a, the healing of a man, there is the healing of a woman. He balances all of that out to say that women are important to Jesus Christ and his ministry, but the Pharisees didn't. Their wife was ugly or burnt the toast or just for any reason. They were getting out of that marriage. Jesus challenges his followers to a better way. He uses the illustration of a characterless yet shrewd business manager. All of life in the present, he's telling us, is to be lived with eternity in view. All of life in the present and all of our resources are to be thrown at preparation for eternity. And we need to be asking ourselves this question. In everything that we do, in the purchases that we make, in the plans that we make for our resources, in the money that we save, in our retirement accounts, we need to be asking and answering this question. Will this matter in eternity? Will this matter in eternity? That's what the text is pushing us to. There, there are four things we see in the text. Number one, we see in verses one to nine, your treasure is either in the present or in the future. It's not in both places. Your treasure is either in the present or in the future. We see the setting. I've already touched on it. The wealthy man had assigned someone to manage or steward or use his possessions or money in a manner that was consistent with his desires, intentions, and objectives. 
for our understanding and application. God is the rich man who owns everything and determines the right purposes for everything. If we're going to see ourselves in the story, we are the stewards. We are the managers. We are his. We belong to him. Everything that we have and everything that we are, even our life and our very breath belongs to him. And our assignment is to use everything that we have in a manner that is consistent with his mission. The manager was not using the resources that the rich man had given him to achieve the objectives of the master. He forgot who he was. He forgot whose he was, and he forgot who owned what he had. And the temptation was just too great. And I would ask you in response to what we find in the text this morning, who are you? Are you a child of God? And have you believed the gospel? What is your view and perspective of your time and possessions? What is your view of money? When you get more, how do you use it? Is the kingdom of heaven progressing every time you make financial strides forward? That's the setting. But then there is a decision, verses 4 to 7. As soon as the rich man sees the books, this unfaithful steward thought, my goose is cooked. When he sees the books, my goose is cooked. I will be broke. I will be out of a job. I'm going to lose everything. I won't have anything in this world. So I'm going to bless my customers to somehow cause them to be beholden or obligated to me. And if I do not, I will not survive the future. So I'm going to use what resources I have to ensure security for my future. And then in this story, the owner commends him, not for his dishonesty, not at all but for his shrewdness, not for his integrity, but his ingenuity, his creativity. This guy took a bad situation and made it into something good. He thought ahead and planned for a future. And who has a better future than us? Who has a better future than us? This guy thought ahead and planned for a future that he didn't have. We have a future that is awaiting us in Jesus Christ in heaven. He's going to prepare a place for us. There's a place that is prepared for us. We will spend eternity with him. We should be preparing for our future. There is the lesson we see it in verses 8 to 10. He said, I, I tell you, this is what I'm trying to tell you. Listen, look at verse 8. This is the lesson in it. He said, um, he said, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. We, that, that is the currency that we use for transacting in this world. Every one of us is connected to unrighteous wealth. We have to use it. But don't use unrighteous wealth like a son of the world. Use unrighteous, unrighteous wealth like a son of light. Use it differently. Unrighteous wealth, unrighteous money in general as a rule is connected to the sons of the world. Money is the world's currency to achieve the objective and desires of the sons of the world, the unregenerate. We find ourselves as sons of light living in a world system that has been organized by the sons of the world according to the system, according to the rules of the world. The system and the people in it are operating in a manner that is consistent with their nature and inconsistent with the nature of the sons of light. When we become sons of light, how we relate to money changes. We still have to relate to money, but how we relate to money changes. Here's the question. How do we as sons of light in a world that is set up 
by and for the sons of the world navigate with unrighteous wealth. That's what he's saying. How do we as sons of light living in a world that is set up by and for the sons of the world navigate life with unrighteous wealth? Our response to wealth cannot be like the response of the sons of the world. Please hear that. Because, folks, quite frankly, that's where most of us are. Our response to wealth looks like the sons of the world. We want the same things they want. We're chasing the same things they're chasing. Unrighteous wealth will fail. At some point, it will fail. This world of acquisition and accumulation and significance and power and pleasure, it will fail. There will be a disaster. There will be a war. There will be a health collapse. There will be medication that you need that takes all of your money. There will be market fluctuation. Has anybody gotten up enough nerve to look at your retirement account? I put a little bit of money in retirement every month. And can I tell you something? Every single dime plus sum that I have put in my retirement account in 2022 is gone. Every single dime. Hard-earned money. Somebody said, well, they're buying shares. Well, I wish they'd share some shares with me. Amen. I don't understand it. I'll call them. I'm like, where'd my money go? Well, the price of the shares went down. Look, if, if I got $10 in my pocket and my wife takes $5 out of my pocket and I got $5 left, the $5 went somewhere. I hope it's in her pocket. Amen. But you can't trust it. You can't trust it. It's just going, it's going to vanish in thin air. It will fail. Somebody's going to rob us. Something's going to tear up. The value of the, our houses are going to go down. It is all going to go away. So how do I live until it does? What should I do? How should I live? That is what Jesus is trying to get us as sons of light to see. Look at your stuff. Look at your money and ask this question. How can I use everything that I have, and how can I even use my money to make an eternal impact on others? That's what he wants us to see in the text. How can I use my money to make an eternal impact on others? Use your money to forge relationships that will result in people meeting you and greeting you in heaven. They are there because of how you lived your life. They are there because of how you spent your money. I want to see people in heaven because of how I live and give. You need to memorize that. Will you, when you get to heaven, see anybody from Ukraine? Because you took the time to go to southpoint.org and hit the giving tab, and it drops down, and you see that there's an opportunity to support Robertsons and Romania, you are taking people in from the Ukraine and housing them and sharing the gospel with them. When you get to heaven, will you greet people who are from Africa and they're there because you gave so that missionaries could go, so that the gospel could be proclaimed, so that schools could be built? Will there be people in heaven from Russia there are people connected to our body that have people that go all over the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Will there be people in Locust Grove who have come to know Christ because of how you've used your money here? Will there be people in McDonough 
people are up there being saved. I, I know, I know we, we worry. I, I, you, know, you know what? I think, they, I think they got some lights on the stage. They got some lights on the stage. Is that your focus? <laughs> Is that your focus? I think, I think they might have a fog machine too. Oh, Lord, have mercy. God help us. Right? I got to get out of there. I think maybe they even raise their hands at the benediction. Oh, no. Um, every week the gospel is proclaimed. Would you wake up? Would you wake up? The gospel is proclaimed. People are being saved. We're, we're investing. Did you know that it's cost us a lot of money? Did you know that? Did you know that South Point, Locust Grove, you're sending money down the road? Would it be okay if there were some people in heaven? Last week, we had 250 people here. Last week, they had 165 people in McDonough. This is post-COVID. We had similar numbers to that before COVID. Thank God for your response. Thank God for people responding after COVID. Thank God people see the need to gather together as followers of Jesus Christ. The point of it all is to reach people with the gospel. I, I think we sent uh, somewhere in the, the neighborhood of 80 people down there. I know some people have left and some people have joined them, but the point is this, that we want to take our money and we want to give it away and we want to invest it so that people will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that when we get to heaven, there will be people there that we may not even know that are there because of how we live and how we give. That's what Jesus is saying. Secondly, your master is either God or money. Luke 16, 10 to 13. Our faithfulness in the small, simple thing speaks as a reflection of our heart and character. How we handle small, simple things shouts in regard to our character, the unseen things, the small, mundane, unnoticed tasks and assignments. Many times people don't want to do the simple things, the unnoticed things, the behind the scene things. And many times, many people sign up for the simple things that aren't faithful to them. Faithfulness in the small things is a critical component of our discipleship and spirituality. Did you hear me? Faithfulness in the small, simple things is a major component of our discipleship and spirituality. There is no shortage of people who want to be seen, who want their way, who complain because something isn't right, because they think they could do it better. But rest assured, the kingdom of heaven presses forward through the efforts of those who are faithful in the simple, mundane things. And I praise God for you. And I would ask that your tribe would increase. But I would also challenge you, find some small, simple area to serve and do it with all your heart. Secondly, he said, few things, if any, will invade and control and demand our attention like money. That's why Jesus says you can't serve God in money. Money is going to take over your life. Money is going to commandeer your thought processes. It's always going to be an issue. It's always going to be a test. And if we can handle unrighteous money the right way, that opens up the door for true riches, which is not more money and stuff. Did you hear me? 
True riches is not more money and stuff. True riches is not something that rides on a set of Michelin radials. True riches is not more square footage at the house. It's something that's spiritual. It's not material. He tells us in verses 10 to 13 to use our money and our wealth and our success to serve God. When success and money increase, what does it do for me? Where is the person who increases income or has wealth but does not expand his lifestyle but uses his increase for eternal purposes? Where is that person? Our generosity, our giving, our handling of wealth is one of the greatest indicators of who our real God is no matter what we know or say or even do. What we do with our money speaks volumes about who we say our God is. You cannot, Jesus is saying this, verses 10 to 13, you cannot synthesize allegiance to wealth and allegiance to God. You cannot use God to build wealth, but you can use wealth to build his kingdom. Don't mix the two up. There are many of us that say, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to give 10%. So God is going to give, you know, I'm, it's going to be pressed down. It's going to be run over. I'm going to have more. Does he say you're going to have more money? That's what we want. That's why we do that. Thirdly, your hope is either good work or good news. Verses 14 to 17. These Pharisees were lovers of money. Not only were they lovers of money, but they created this, this system of rules that was kind of smoke and mirrors. It was a facade they could hide behind. They didn't walk out and say, we love money, but they created a bunch of rules to say, you know what, I really do love God. Look at all the rules that I'm following. Look at all the good things that I'm doing while behind the scenes their heart loved nothing but money. And so they created this system of good works that, that literally shielded their capacity to be vessels of good news. Your hope is either good work or good news. Notice he talks about the good works. They love money, they ridicule Jesus, and they, boom, move right away to justify themselves before men. Look at the rules we're following. But he says, hold on a minute. God knows your heart. God knows what's going on inside of you. You can't fool God. The Pharisees justified their idolatry by creating a list of rules that impressed men. And they then followed their rules or feigned the following of their rules to hide their idolatry. Beware of people who have a standard of righteousness that is anything less than Jesus Christ. It's a smokescreen. God knows our hearts. And if our heart is a heart to love money, listen carefully, we will create a system that makes us look spiritual called good works. We will keep our reputation for being godly and keep our money too, thinking that it's a win-win. When Jesus said, no, it's not. Your hope is either in good work, a smokescreen for our love for money, or your hope is in good news, and we're going to pour our resources into seeing good news spread. The final thing, verse 18, your faithfulness e is either consistent or fake. Jesus talks about divorce. There's much to be said in the Bible about divorce. We've just recently, as elders, come up with um, our view and perspective on the issues of divorce, the multifaceted issues of divorce. If anybody would like to see that, we'd be glad to share that um, with you. The point that he's making is this, 
that these Pharisees are um, following all of the rules and they're getting all everything right externally. They're creating those, these rules, they're following their rules, but they are bankrupt relationally. There is, this, there is this grotesque inconsistency on the front end of the conversation because they have a high view of money and on the back end of the conversation because they have a low view of marriage and they have a low view of relationships and they have a low view of women. And so Jesus is, is, is pu putting these brackets on that conversation to say that you guys have this smokescreen of good works that, that abandons good news and there is this inconsistency in your life. You're saying you're following all the rules, but you love money, which you shouldn't. You should be using money for the kingdom of glory of God. God, but you're also abusive to your wives and you divorce her for anything at the drop of a hat. If we are faithful, there's going to be a consistency to our faithfulness. If we are faithful, there's going to be this heart that, 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 wants, a heart that wants to see the lost come to know Christ. There's going to be this heart that says, I've got these resources that aren't mine. They belong to God. And when I get to heaven, I want to see people there that have been reached with the good news of the gospel because I'm using my resources to send people, to support people, to help people. Your faithfulness is either consistent or fake. True faithfulness encompasses every area of our lives, financially and relationally. People who have a high view of money, listen, people who have a high view of money usually have a low view of people. You say, what, what do you mean? People who have a high view of money view human relationships as utilitarian. How can I relate to this person and get involved with this person so that the outcome of this relationship is going to put more money in my pocket? Maybe open the door for me to get a better job or, or to have more business. People who usually have a high view of money have a low view of relationships. People who have a high view of money generally have a utilitarian view of people. How can they help me get more money? If you're unfaithful with your money, in other words, if all that you have and all that you are is not flowing out so that other people are coming to the kingdom, if your relationships are not used to bring people into the kingdom or introduce people to the kingdom, and if your resources are not used to introduce people to the kingdom, you yourself may not be in the kingdom. You may not know the king. This is important. Because we go back to the character and nature of God. We go back to the Spirit of God that comes to live in us. We go back to the fruit of the Spirit that flows out of us. The thing that is flowing out of us as we look at the fruit of the Spirit is the character and nature of God. And the character of God and the nature of God is that God is a seeking God. And the character and nature of God is that God is a generous God. And so we say, I've got the Holy Spirit in me. We're the family of God. We're the kingdom of God. We're on mission for God. Therefore, my heart should be a heart that wants to live and to give to see other people come to know Jesus Christ. Imagine standing before God and he as the owner addresses you as a manager. And I ask you, what is he going to say to you? What is he going to say to you? Application. Let me just read a few thoughts while we have application. Number one, how are you stewarding relationships in your home, how are you treating your spouse? How are you treating your spouse? Are you concerned about your spouse's soul? Are, are you concerned about their, their spiritual life? It's easy to get mad at 
our spouses. <laughs> it's easy to feel contempt toward them. We're with them all the time. They know how to push the buttons and pull the levers. And then as you get older, you can't hear what they say. <laughs> we were pulling out in traffic this morning and we had gone to Starbucks and we had gotten some egg bites and I pulled it out of the bag. And my wife was fixing to pull out in traffic and she does not know how to drive as well as I do. In fact, I doubt there's anybody in this room that knows how to drive as well as I do. I'm EVOC certified, by the way. Some of you know what that means. Some of you don't. That just means I'm a daggone good driver. Amen. So if I'm riding with you and I say something to you, listen to me. All right? She doesn't. And so I grabbed, I grabbed an egg bite and I put it between my cheek and gum. And I bit down on it and it was too hot. And I made a sound. And she thought I was complaining about her driving. She's like, what? What? What did I do wrong? I said, you didn't do anything wrong. The egg bite was hot. That's, that's married life, you know. I'm sure y'all don't ever experience anything like that. But, but the, the, the text of Scripture would say, man, we need to value these relationships. I, I need to value her soul and her spiritual life. And I have to tell you that I fail in, at, at that in so many ways. Because once we start doing ministry, and she, once you start having kids and you have grandkids and you have a schedule, it's all about the utilitarian aspect of well, what are we doing next week? What's on the calendar for this day? Got a granddaughter that's having surgery next week. Got to, got to go keep grandkids. All right, you go do that, I'll go do it. And we forget all about genuinely caring for one another. How are you stewarding relationships in your home, in this church, and in your community? We should be living and giving with the outcome of our living and giving, be, being people coming to know Jesus Christ, being in heaven. Secondly, do you worship your money or worship with your money? Money's, money's a great tool, although it is unrighteous wealth. It is a great tool. The question is, do you worship your money or do you worship with your money? And I want to encourage you today to say there is a great opportunity for you to take what God has given you and be faithful with it and worship him with it. The text is challenging us to that. Thirdly, what is the deep idol that your money serves? What is the deep idol that your money serves? Has anybody ever been poor? Many in this room have been poor. Maybe you still are, but maybe you're not. I guarantee you that you're determined that you don't ever want to be poor again. Were you ever not able to buy something to eat or something to wear or put gas in your car or provide a roof over your head, but now you're in a position to do that? You don't ever want to go back to that, nor should we. But many times we make these oaths. I'm never going to be poor again. You ever hung around people with money and they look down on you? Anybody here ever been looked down on? Anybody here ever felt inadequate because you've been around people that had a whole lot more and they wanted to make sure that you knew that they had more and that you were inadequate? But now you don't have to feel that way. You got a nice place to live. You drive a nice car. You pull up beside somebody at the stoplight and you can look over at them and say, my car is just as nice as your car as opposed to them looking at you with the smoke pouring out the back and the paint fading off of it. Couldn't afford to drive it to the car wash. You're like, who is that? 
I don't ever want to feel that way again. So we take money and we put it as the buffer between us and how we feel. It becomes an idol. What is the deep idol that your money serves? Fourthly, have you come to the realization that God knows your heart, that he can't be fooled? That ought to strike fear in our soul this morning. We don't fool God. Fifthly, if Jesus set your budget, what would be different? If Jesus set your budget, what would be different? I, I read this text and I said, I'm going to go home and tell my wife we need to double our giving. <laughs> I think I already give the right percentage, right? I already give the right percentage and so I can take the rest and use it for what I want to use it for. So we think, no, I'm afraid not. Because when I get to heaven, I don't want glory. All the glory goes to Jesus. But I sure would love to run across some folks that were there because Jesus saved them. Don't, don't, don't try to twist up what I'm saying this morning. Don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, I mean everybody vacillates between, well, it doesn't matter what we do because God's going to save who God's going to save or God's going to save everybody. We're either these hyper-Calvinists or these universalists and, and somehow we're, we're just standing in the middle doing nothing but just, just living like the sons of the world, right? When quite frankly, the means that God uses to accomplish his purposes are the resources that he gives us and our response to his call to the gospel to the needs around us. God uses that to bring people to himself. So don't rationalize some independence on your part that lets you take unrighteous wealth and think about it. Just like the sons of the world. We are sons of light. We are sons of light. And our desire should be to live and give in such a way that when we get to heaven, there will be people there because we had the foresight to say, where did this come from and what do I have it for? God must have given it to me, and if he gave it to me, it's his. Therefore, I need to use it in a way that furthers his mission and his kingdom, and I want to live in such a way that when I die and get to heaven, I will be glad that I used the resources that I had on this earth to make sure there would be people in heaven. I would challenge you this morning to trust Jesus Christ today. The only thing that makes all of this crazy world fueled by unrighteous wealth among, among the sons of this world is Jesus Christ. The only thing that makes this crazy world make sense with all of this unrighteous wealth and the sons of this world, the only thing that makes life make sense is Jesus Christ. And I would beg with you and I would plead with you to come to him. And when you do, when you do, you can live and you can give in such a way that when you get to heaven, there'll be people there because you were submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.